0: everyone welcome to our text class and uh, before we get started what I'd like to do is just let's just take a few moments to just go within (sighs) wherever we've been you know maybe we just rushed to this maybe we just clicked on it (laughs) wherever we are let's just take a few moments to just take a deep breath and just be with the Holy Spirit centering ourselves Letting everything go that has gone before this moment and anything that I may be thinking about that I need to take care of a little later. Let's just be here now. Holy Spirit, all we need is an instant to join with you, to be with you. And so be with us on our journey through the text and what sections we cover today. Let your wisdom shine through. And may it always bring us peace. And continue to remove the blocks to the awareness of love's presence. Amen. So here we are, we're in session three. Uh, this week we will be looking at chapter one, section seven, through chapter two, section four. So we have about five sections we'll be looking at today. So we'll be starting off on page 15, since we're still early on, right? We're just beginning here. So page 15, we'll be starting with uh, section seven, the distortions of miracle impulses. So let's take a look at this here. Uh, Once again, we're just kind of pulling out the highlights, the keys to each of these sections as an overview for this week. And certainly you want to take that time at home to read it, journal about it, do whatever you uh, feel guided to do with the readings at home. And so we're looking at this first paragraph here. He's saying that um, "Hmm, the physical impulses are misdirected miracle impulses. And he says, all real pleasure comes from doing God's will. So, this is kind of shielded a little bit here. I know in the original text, it's actually talking about sex and things similar in that, yes, yes, it is. is. Let's blush about it. That's what he's talking about here. Physical impulses are misdirected miracle impulses. So, Just even if we think about that, anything, you know, besides sex, (laughs) think about that chocolate or that cheesecake or that vacation, you know, something that I think is going to bring me pleasure. It's really, oh, I really want a miracle instead. I really want to know the truth about myself instead. I think these things outside of me, whether it's bodily (laughs) contact or food or, or whatever it may be, Maybe we have an addiction, that sort of thing. We think that's going to uh, make us whole, make us complete. But then it goes on, it says, all real pleasure comes from doing God's will. And so when we're confused, we can ask, well, what is your will for me, God? And so he says, do not deceive yourself into believing that you can relate in peace to God or to your brothers with anything external that's the last sentence in that paragraph sentence seven so there's uh you know we we think that we can uh be with other people you know oh i think i'm gonna go on vacation with a group of friends i'm gonna go out to dinner i think that's where the connection is and if i don't go and do that oh go out to dinner with 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 my friends i think i'm missing something there's something missing and the thing is is the connection is there in the mind. It's not outside of us in any way. Like, oh, I have to give people a hug or I have to, you know, be in the same room with them in any way. And then he goes on, next paragraph here, child of God, you were created to create the good, the beautiful, and the holy. And not the good, bad, and ugly, as Clint Eastwood taught us, right? (laughs) You were created to create the good, the beautiful, and the holy. Don't forget this, he says. Keep this in mind. The love of God must still be expressed through one body okay so he's saying yeah you're still going to be expressing but as we'll keep learning as we go on is that the body is a means of communication it's not it it's not the it It. it's just a way that I can utilize to express hey I love you I care about you I see you for who you are we can use our voice And we can use, you know, by helping, maybe lending a helping hand, maybe a hurricane, we want to go and we help. And in some way, we're showing that love in some way, but we're not attached that it has to be done in a certain way. He says, you can use your body best, sentence four, to help you enlarge your perception so you can achieve real vision of which the physical eye is incapable. So we're just using the body. And then he talks about fantasy. It's an attempt to control reality according to false needs. Well, we all have all kinds of fantasies going on in our mind. You know, um, oh, well, if I would have said this differently to so-and-so, well, then, you know, then this would have happened and that would have happened and this would have happened. Or if I would have taken the job that I turned down and blah, blah, blah. We think that all this is going to make a difference. And it says it twists reality in any way and you're perceiving destructively. The fantasies are a means of making false associations and attempting to obtain pleasure from them. And it's going to go back to this whole idea that we're only going to have real pleasure by doing God's will. And in sentence nine, he says, if you offer miracles, you'll be equally strong in your belief in them miracle, that shift in perception. And I'm going to look at the very last sentence of that page, sentence 14. Complete restoration of the sonship is the only goal of the miracle-minded. So that's our goal. Complete restoration, complete oneness is our goal in doing this. So here we go. We turn the page, uh, page 16, top of the page. He said, This is a course in mind training. All learning involves attention and study at some level. He says, some of the later parts of the course rest too heavily on these earlier sections not to require their careful study. He says, you need them for preparation. Without this, you may become much too fearful of what is to come to make constructive use of it. So it it is called a course because it's something we study. We study it, but then we don't just stop there. We put into application, that's what the workbook is for, is helping us to put into application all of these ideas that we're learning. But we we do need to be attentive to it. That's why we're here together. (laughs) We're being attentive for over the next year in the text. And so paragraph five, he says, a solid foundation is necessary because of the confusion between fear and awe, which he says I've already referred to. And it's often made. It's like, no, you're not in awe of your brothers. Don't be in awe of me, he says. Don't be, you know, don't set your brothers up. What he's basically saying is don't set them up as a guru. Don't put them on a pedestal. Don't put Jesus on a pedestal. But we've done that, right? Because that's what our previous probably training has taught us. Jesus is up there. We're down here. We're not as good as he is. And he's saying, no, everything that I can do, you can do too. And that's what he's saying. He says, ah, uh, this is sentence six. I have stressed that ah is not an appropriate reaction to me because of our inherent equality. We are equal with Jesus. And he says some of the later steps in this course, however, involve a more direct approach to God himself. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to be helping you along the way. But yet, as you keep moving on in this course, you will just be in direct contact with your father. And you won't really need me to help you because you're going to be there. <laughs> you're going to be in that in that mode. And he says healing is of God in the end. You know, probably have heard before or we will hear that God himself will take the final step. All of this is in preparation to being right at that step so he can take us into heaven. So now we're going to move into chapter two. Chapter two is the separation and the atonement. That's the chapter's title. And so our first section here is the origins of separation. So let's take a look at this on page 17. So he says, uh, starting off in paragraph 1 there, that to extend is, is an aspect of God, which he gave to us. He gave us the ability to extend. He says, in creation, he extended himself to his creations and imbued them with the same loving will to create. We've been created perfect. And, sentence four, there's no emptiness at all within us. And because of our likeness to our creator, we are creative. And we can't lose that ability to be creative. Now, this isn't saying you go out and you're painting paintings and you're doing all kinds of sculpture (laughs) and that sort of creativity. Creativity is extending love. And so if we look at Uh, Sentence seven, (laughs) I have it marked over, that's why I can't see what number it is. The inappropriate use of extension or projection occurs when you believe that some emptiness or lack exists in you and that you can fill it with your own ideas instead of truth. And so we start seeking outside of us to fill up a hole that we think is there that really isn't there. And so let's look at these steps then that he's talking about here. There's a process here. He says, first, you believe that what God created can be changed by your own mind. So right away we're saying, well, God didn't create me whole. I need to have love or I need to have money or I need to have whatever it is, a relationship, whatever it is that I need. I'm saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) You didn't create this we think we can change what god created. Second, you believe that what is perfect can be rendered imperfect or lacking. Same sort of thing. So god created something perfect and we're saying, "Oh no, it's not perfect. Look, it's crooked. Look, look at it. It's it needs to be adjusted right here. Let's adjust it because it's not it's not correct what he did. I know better." Third, you believe that you can distort the creations of god including yourself. Yeah. Well, here, let me get in there. Let me let me do some remodeling work, God, because you didn't do enough. Fourth, you believe that you can create yourself and that the direction of your own creation is up to you. Well, here we go. This, This is where our whole personality has come in because we thought we can create our own identity. We've masked who we really are. And he says these related distortions represent a picture of what actually occurred in the separation or the detour into fear. None of it existed beforehand. We didn't think that way before, and we were all one. We weren't split into all these fragments of all these different people that we seem to see out here in the world. There was only the oneness. There was only the sun. I love this line here. It's uh, paragraph 2, sentence 4. Extension as undertaken by God is similar to the inner radiance that the children of the Father inherit from him. Its source is internal. The inner radiance that we all have. That is what God created. And then he says in 8 that this requires God's endowment of the Son with free will. So we were given free will because all loving creation is freely given in one continuous line in which all aspects are of the same order. So this is why we're not like forced back into heaven. (laughs) We have that choice and waking up and knowing our inner radiance, as he says. I love that, that inner radiance. And so then we go to three and it says the Garden of Eden or the pre-separation condition was a state of mind in which nothing was needed. And then he talks about, well, Adam listened to the serpent, the lies of the serpent, You know, thinking that there was knowledge that we didn't have. And then he says, ah, everything can just disappear in the twinkling of an eye because it's a misperception. And then he brings up this point that the Bible says that a deep sleep fell upon Adam. And nowhere is there a reference to the fact that he woke up. I find that very interesting. <laughs> he never woke up. So that would mean the whole Bible is a dream, too. You know, in that, right? He says, This world has not yet experienced any comprehensive reawakening or rebirth. And he says, Rebirth is impossible if we keep projecting or miscreating, you know, putting it outside of us. But everything that God gave us is still within us, still internal. Extended his spirit to us. The Holy Spirit is there. It came in that detour into fear to assist us, to help us to come home. So skipping down, let's see, we'll go down to four here, paragraph four. I'm looking at sentence five. He's talking about that deep sleep again that fell on Adam. And it says, Only after that deep sleep could he experience the nightmares. And he talks about the idea that if a light is suddenly turned on while someone is dreaming, a fearful dream, they may interpret the light as part of the dream and be afraid of it. If we've ever had a a dream where, you know, maybe the telephone was ringing or the doorbell was ringing, you know, we kind of fell, took a nap or whatever, and um, we become startled by you know, what's going on in the dream. And here it was just the phone ringing outside of us. And that's what he's saying. It's like, it becomes part of the dream. and We think it's the dream and we're afraid of it. But then whenever we wake up, we can see, oh, you know, like he's saying here, the light. Oh, that, oh, that's what that was. Or, oh, that was just the phone ringing. Oh, and that was just the UPS guy leaving something at the door. And he rang the doorbell. It wasn't that scary monster behind the door that I thought in my dream. You know, that's all it was. And so he's asking us, you know, we need to be released then from the dream and not give the dream figures, the dream items that come up, giving it any more reality. So let's go down to five there, and this is where he talks about this idea that there's no order of difficulty in miracles again. It was brought up in the Miracle Principles, and now here it is again, that there is no order of difficulty in miracles. And he says that some miracles may seem to be a greater magnitude than others, like me forgiving Oh, the guy who cuts me off on the freeway may seem like an easier miracle than trying to forgive somebody that I've known from a long time ago who really hurt me really bad, blah, blah, blah. There's no difference. You know, we're forgiving Hitler or however we want to look at it. Every shift in perception is the same. We think that there's a difference. We think that there's difficulty, but it is all the same. He says you were... In reality, you are perfectly unaffected by all expressions of lack of love. And then he says peace is an attribute that's in us. And it's italicized in us, in you. You cannot find peace outside. There's nowhere to look outside for that peace. Going to the mountaintop, going to the ashram, going on vacation is not going to bring us the peace. The peace Lies within us. And health, he says, is inner peace. And we're talking about mental health here. Everything, this course, is a course on healing the mind. Not the body. It's a course in healing the mind. So health is inner peace. It helps you to remain unshaken by the lack of love. And by accepting miracles. We're correcting the conditions proceeding from lack of love whether we see it within ourselves or we see it in someone else. So that's section one there, the origin of separation. So let's look at section two now as we continue just kind of doing an overview on this. So the next section is section two, the atonement is defense on page 19 and he starts off right away saying, you can do anything I ask. You can do anything. I've asked you to perform miracles. I've made it clear that miracles are natural. Healing, universal. There's nothing that they can't do, but they cannot be performed. And then he says, sentence four, when you are afraid of anything, you are acknowledging its power to hurt you. So even take a moment right now and let come to mind something that you're afraid of, that you're afraid's going to hurt you. Whatever it may be. You know, I said, I don't have enough time to finish a project. I'm running out of money. I need a job. I need a relationship. Whatever that may be. But he's saying is that when you fear it, you're giving it power over you. So I'm giving the la- what I perceive as a lack of money. I'm giving that power. Or a lack of a relationship. Or lack of time. <laughs> I'm giving that power over myself. He says, remember that where your heart is, there is your treasure. You believe in what you value. So if you're afraid, you are valuing wrongly. I'm paying attention to the fear. I'm holding on to that fear. I'm allowing that fear to stand in the way of what I could really have. And what can I really have? I can have peace instead of this, if we refer to one of the workbook lessons, right? Your understanding will then inevitably value wrongly. And by endowing all thoughts with equal power, will inevitably destroy peace. So the more we stay with that fear, we're not going to have peace at all. And jumping down, he's saying, oh, well, that's what the Bible talks about, the peace of God, which passive understanding. He says this peace is totally incapable of being shaken by errors of any kind. So when we're in with the peace of God, nothing can shake us. All these things, all these perceived lacks that we've had cannot disrupt us in any way because wow we're centered with God. We're there. And it says it denies the ability of anything not of God to affect you. This is the proper use of denial. It's not used to hide anything, but it's used to correct the error. And it brings all the errors to the light. And this is where we talk about this idea of true denial as we move on to the next paragraph there. You can and should deny any belief that error can hurt you. And that's what we want to deny. It's not a concealment, but a correction. You know, we want to make sure we're using true denial, as he says here. He says, in the service of the right mind, the denial of error frees the mind. So we're denying the error, not denying uh, that part of us that we don't want to look at. You know, we don't want to push things aside. We're saying, okay, this is a mistake. This is an error. This is not real. I'm giving this over to you, Holy Spirit. That's what I want to say. Because I want to be free in my mind. Denial of error frees the mind. And I want to recognize the truth. And then he's going on. Uh, I'm in three now, uh, th- about mid paragraph five. The real questions are: What do you treasure, and how much do you treasure? So I'm looking at everything. You know, reflecting within myself: What is it that I treasure? Do I treasure fear? Do I treasure judgment? Or do I treasure peace? Do I treasure love? That's where I want to head. You know, being aware. And if, oh, wow, I really do treasure fear, Uh, I think I need a correction of that error. Because I really do want peace. Deep down underneath it all, we really do want peace. And so in paragraph four, then, he starts to talk about the atonement. The atonement, the uh, undoing of fear, the, uh, well, perception that the separation occurred, that's gone with the atonement. And we see that we are one, In God, the principle, the atonement principle is love, and the atonement was an act of love. It brings us together, eliminates the separation. He says acts were not necessary before them because the belief of space and time did not exist. Well, here we think there's space and time. The atonement can heal. He says at the end of that paragraph, And he also says the atonement is the final lesson because at that point, boom, we're one. (laughs) There's no more need for all these other tools that we've been using up until now to help us. Forgiveness is like the last one too. The last illusion. The the illusion to end the illusion. Forgiveness. And so the atonement, that's that final lesson. So going down to, uh, let's see, six here. He says, you correct your previous missteps by stepping forward. That's sentence two. Sentence four, the atonement is the device by which you can free yourself from the past as you go ahead. It undoes your past errors, thus making it unnecessary for you to keep retracing your steps. We don't have to go back to that point in time. I was... uh, Watching with Paul, I've been watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine for, well, six seasons. (laughs) And he went back to episode one because he hasn't watched it at all. And in this first uh, episode, uh, the uh, commander's wife had died. And uh, when he met with these celestial beings, I'm trying to shorten the story, but (laughs) in that when he met with the celestial beings that this other race uh, believed in, they, they uh, kept receiving these images of that mo- moment in time when his wife was killed. And, and the total upset that he had because he saw her lying there dead. Um, and they, he says, well, why do you keep bringing me back to this memory? And they said, well, you're bringing us there. We're not bringing you there. And they said, why do you exist here? I just love that. Why do you exist here? And what he was doing was he was existing in that time period, which was several years before. And he couldn't move on with his life because he was stuck in that moment when he lost his wife. But see, that's what the atonement does. And actually, at the end of the show, he was able to kind of move past that point and, and let go of her. And that's what it does. It helps us to move past that. Pain, whatever it was that we had, brings us. He says it saves time. And like the miracle it serves, it does not abolish it. So as long as there's a need for the atonement, there's a need for time. But the atonement as a completed plan has a unique relationship to time. Until the atonement is complete, its various phases will proceed in time. So it's going to seem like we're still here in time. We may see uh, time collapse, like for him, and that ends. oh, wow, okay, all these things I can, I can let go, and I don't have to be upset. I don't have to be uh, thinking about it all the time. And every time I close my eyes, I see her face, you know, and how she died, because he talked about that. It's like we probably can relate in some way to that idea where there's something that we just keep coming back to in our mind, all that moment in time that just hurts so much, whatever it may be. And so the atonement is a total commitment, he says, in seven. You may think it's associated with loss, that we're going to lose something when we join in the oneness. You know, We're going to think we, we're going to lose this little identity that we've created, who I am, my membership card, <laughs> and everything. But it, it it's not. It's something so much better that we're not going to care about our... Driver's license and membership cards to the world and everything. So let's see if there's anything else. Okay, at the end there, uh, paragraph eight the miracle turns the defense of atonement to your real protection, and you'll become more and more secure as you assume your natural talent, protecting others, knowing yourself as a brother and a son. So we've come to know who we truly are. So moving on to the next section, page 21, section 3, the altar of God. So we're talking a little bit more here about the atonement. And it uh, can be accepted within you by releasing the inner light. So I talked about inner radiance earlier. and Now he's talking about that inner light. Um, the light it can be synonymous with truth, with love. So we've been defending against the truth of who we are. And he's talking about the body and how the the body, um, we've engaged in all kinds of fantasies about the body, and we think the body is who we are. You know, the body is our temple, you know, we may say, and everything too. But he's saying that the atonement in physical terms is impossible. The body has nothing to do with the atonement. There's an inner altar within us, and that's where uh, the inner temple as well and that's where we need to focus and said he says 10 the real beauty of the temple cannot be seen with the physical eye so we're not going to see the temple with, with our eyes in any way it lies within us and with that spiritual sight that we have that's where we're going to see the truth about ourselves the truth about god the truth about our brothers." And he's saying the atonement is there on on that inner at the center of the inner altar, and there it is right there. It un, the atonement undoes the separation, restores the wholeness of the mind. That is what the atonement is. That's what to take note of right there. And he says that it's going to heal the separation by placing within you the one effective defense against all separation thoughts and making you perfectly invulnerable. So by our moving towards that, we're going to see. And that's what miracles help us to do when we work with the Holy Spirit and and we keep shifting our minds and we keep having that peace. And we keep seeing that, wow, we are all one. There is no separation between us. And then he goes on and he says, uh, paragraph three, the acceptance of the atonement by everyone is a matter of time. Everyone will get there. It's just as they're ready as they awaken in, in their way.
1: We don't leave anybody behind
0: in this <laughs> at all. So if we turn the page and we and we look at the top of the page there, we're still we're kind of mid-paragraph three there. Uh, here's one of these lines that you probably have heard before. Tolerance for pain may be high, but it is not without limit. Eventually, everyone begins to recognize, however dimly, that there must be a better way. And he says this recognition becomes a turning point. And at some point, well, that's what led us here to the Course. If we remember from the preface when we talked about how Helen and Bill came together, oh, well, there's got to be another way. You know, they were talking about, oh, what they thought with their interpersonal relationships and the meetings and everything, but it became something a little bit more (laughs) with this book. But within ourselves, that's why we're here. This is why we, we are studying this book. But we come to that point probably a lot, maybe more times than we realize. You know, we realize, you know, the longer we study the course is that, oh, these things that occur, this person that ticks me off. You know, these situations that I'm fearful about or something I get judgmental about, I start to feel uncomfortable maybe a little bit more quickly than I used to. Before, I probably put up with a lot and bitched a lot and complained a lot and that sort of thing. But now it's like, oh man, I don't like how I feel. Oh, I guess I need Holy Spirit. that's when our limits are coming down <laughs> and we say okay nope, nope I'm going to sit down I'm going to be quiet here I'm not, I'm not going to go into that whole nonsense in my mind so when we have that recognition well then we ask for help we ask for the Holy Spirit so in looking um I'm gonna. There's not too much there in four. Maybe you find something in four for you. I'm gonna skip down to five. Uh, The children of God are entitled to the perfect comfort that comes from perfect trust. I love that perfect comfort. That's what we want, right? When we go through our lives, we want to feel comfortable. We don't like feeling fearful. We don't like feeling angry. We don't like those feelings. Sad, whatever it may be. We don't like those feelings. And he's saying, "Well, we can have that comfort if we come to trust, and otherwise, we're wasting ourselves." He says that we waste ourselves in our true powers because we can choose differently. We can have a different way if we choose it. It's like, "Oh, wow! Yeah, I don't have to be upset. I can have, I can have God instead. I can know that everything's okay because everything is okay." And he gave his peace, sentence 8, he gave them his peace so they could not be shaken and could not be deceived. And so whenever you are afraid, you are deceived and your mind cannot serve the Holy Spirit. And he says, this starves you, but not by denying you your daily bread. Isn't that interesting? God is lonely without his sons and they are lonely without him. I think that sentence is just kind of used because we know what loneliness feels like. I don't think it really means that God is really lonely. Because if God is God, and everything that says here in this course, I don't really think he would be lonely. I think it's kind of pulling on our heartstrings, kind of saying, oh, wow, yeah, I want to be with God. And so what he, I, I like this pit bit, though, where whenever you're afraid, you are deceived. We're deceiving about what power we do have, what truth we do know and what we can't have. And when we're in that place, no, we're not saying, Oh yeah, I do the course and I'm going to go to Holy Spirit. No, cause we're stuck in the fear and the judgment or whatever it is that it is that we're, you know, upset about. So it's like, I have the power. I am entitled to miracles. I have the power. So let's move on to our last section for today, uh, which is section four, healing as release from fear, page 23. And he says, our emphasis is now on healing. The miracle is the means, the atonement is the principle, and healing is the result. So the miracle helps us to get there. The atonement gets us there, and healing, wow, that's what we're going to, we're going to have. And he says healing is not a miracle. The atonement. Or the final miracle. So we can look at the atonement then. As the final miracle. Kind of. Boom we're there. We're in the oneness. The, the miracles kind of help us along the way. Getting glimpses of the oneness. Getting glimpses of the truth. He says and we don't understand healing. Because of the fear that we have. And so then as we go on in paragraph two there, he's saying that sickness or not right-mindedness is the result of level confusion. Now remember, we're talking about this as in a book on behavior or the body. This is about the mind. So any sickness we're talking about is the sickness in our minds where we've been so caught up in the fear and the judgment. So he says it's the result of level confusion because it it entails the belief that what is amiss on one level can can affect the other level. So as he goes down, he says, well, the mind is capable of error. The body can act wrongly only when it's responding to misthought. The body doesn't create. And seven, he says, the physical illness represents a belief in magic. And then nine, this error can take two forms. It can be believed that the mind can miscreate Miscreate in the body, or that the body can miscreate in the mind. And that's an error to think that something that I thought of caused something out in my body. I'm afraid to step forward, and so my foot hurts. <laughs> something like that. That kind of goes, uh, you know, in the other way with Louise Hay and, and people like that. But this is what he's saying. He says, when it's understood that the mind, the only level of creation, cannot create beyond itself, neither type of confusion need occur. And he says, paragraph three there, only the mind can create because spirit has already been created and the body is a learning device for the mind. That's all it is. The symptoms can shift and change. You know, I could be afraid to step forward and it could be my elbow. Or it could be a headache, or it could be whatever. It could be something for you. It could be something for you. It could be, you know, something totally different for everybody else. It's not totally connected. And really, when you look at Louise, hey, it always comes down to fear anyway. You're afraid of something. (laughs) No matter what part of the body is. it's fear. So using the body as a way, you know, as he says, as a learning device He says learning devices. Okay, so first he's saying the body is a learning device. And he's saying learning devices are not lessons themselves. They're there to help us to facilitate learning. It has no power in itself. The body is merely part of your experience in the physical world. Sensei. So we've put too much emphasis on the body. And really the body is just here. You know, just because I think a certain way doesn't mean I caused my, can, you know, cancer. Or I caused this to happen. Or I caused that to happen. The mind is the mind. So if we move on in paragraph four, they're all material means that except as remedies for bodily ills are restatements of magic principles. This is the first step in believing that the body makes its own illness. It's a second misstep to attempt to heal it through non-creative agents. Now, and he's going to say here, I'm just going to go ahead and read this because he will say exactly what I'm going to say. It does not follow, however, that the use of such agents for corrective purposes is evil. So when we're talking about non-creative agents, let's just simply say a Tylenol (laughs) or some prescription or an herb or, or whatever it is. So he he says that using them is not wrong. It's not bad to do that. He says sometimes the illness has a sufficiently strong hold over the mind to render a person temporarily inaccessible to the atonement. In this case, it may be wise to utilize a compromise approach to mind and body in which something from the outside is temporarily given healing belief. This is because the last thing that can help the non-right-minded or the sick is an increase in fear. So it's okay to take medicines or herbs. You know, you can go either way. Drugs, prescription drugs is magic as is herbs or anything else. But what he's saying, if it's going to help us to feel comfortable, then it's okay. Because then it will help us to maybe be more open to our mind. To looking at the fear with Holy Spirit, then, is what it's doing. It's like we don't want to increase the fear, and say, "Oh no, I I I can't take a pill. You know, I gotta I, I gotta be with the pain because I gotta heal because of the course. I'm a course student. I gotta heal. Sickness is a defense against the truth. Oh, all this stuff. No, it's like just take the pill. Be comfortable, and then you can still go to Holy Spirit. <laughs> There's no reason not to feel comfortable in that. And he says, well, if you're already in a fear-weakened state, if they're prematurely exposed to a miracle, they may be precipitated into panic. So we're not going to be dragged into healing our mind because it would be too fearful for us. You know, if we were dragged into the oneness right now, it's too terrifying. So we go baby steps. And if it's I gotta take a pill to help me to come to a place of peace a little bit more so now I can ask for a miracle about the fear that I'm feeling, you know, maybe because maybe it is something about my body that I'm feeling fearful about. I mean, knowing it's not the body, it's I'm feeling fear. So I have to go back to that. So the value of the atonement or the undoing of the separation does not lie in the manner in which it is expressed. In fact, if it is used truly, truly, it will inevitably be expressed in whatever way is most helpful to the receiver. This means that a miracle must be expressed in a language that the recipient can understand without fear. So Holy Spirit is going to speak to us in a way It's going to be gentle. It's going to be our language. I, I always say, He's not going to speak Spanish to us if we speak French. He's going to speak to us in a way that we can understand. And as it says, and it's not going to precipitate fear, induce more fear for us. And he says the whole aim, this is the very last sentence here, the whole aim of the miracle is to raise the level of communication, not to lower it by increasing fear. So the miracle is going to help us To be in that space with Holy Spirit. You know, we're asking Holy Spirit for help. We shift into that place. It's going to help us to feel comfortable. Oh, yeah, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm getting it. I can see why Joe Schmo is doing what he's doing. So now I don't have to be afraid. But we're never dragged into it. It's always a very gentle, loving process. As we're ready. And that's what we need to remember is as we are ready. So that is our overview for this week. Uh, Next week, we will be looking at still Chapter 2. And we will be looking at Section 5, The Function of the Miracle Worker. Section 6, Fear and Conflict. Section 7, Cause and Effect. And Section 8, The Meaning of the Last Judgment. So with that, as always, I wish you peace.